Welcome to the Meditation Ward. My name is Nadia Ward. I'm really excited to bring you this podcast where I talk to interesting people who also happen to be meditators. We talk about their stories, the way they got into meditation, and any tips or tools they'd like to share with you. Each week, there's a second episode, a guided meditation that we hope you'll enjoy. If you would like to start your own meditation practice, we would love you to check out our course, Exploring Meditation, a seven-week course designed by me, Nadia. Each week, you learn new tips and tools and how to create your own personal meditation practice that works for you. Follow us at The Meditation Ward on Instagram or go to the website, themeditationward.com. Sign up for our emails and check out our courses. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Meditation Ward. My name is Nadia, and I'm really excited today to get to um, interview Alex Montague. He is a certified meditation and mindfulness teacher, as well as the founding partner of a New York-based Montague Law. He created Twink Tranquil. <laughs> he created TranquilLawyer.com as a platform to guide fellow lawyers and other professionals in high-stress fields towards more fulfilling lives through meditation and mindfulness practices. Alex is the author of the novel The Riddle of the Sphinx, a historic thriller and semi-biographical journey of self-discovery. In the last 10 years, he has brought more concentration into spiritual studies through a Buddhist view and its teachings on meditation, mindfulness, wisdom, and compassion. Alex, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. When I was writing your bio, I was thinking that I should have like an air horn at the end. That's like, boo, 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 Alex, because you've done so much. It, yes, um, but thank you. And thank you. Thank you for that. But, you know, what's interesting for me is that one of the one of the things that I've grasped or I'm learning more as I pursue my spiritual practices is that all of this sort of intellectual learning and doing that we sort of praise and look at that's that's really not what has brought me ultimate fulfillment and um, which is why I turned to these practices, but my journey in the last 10 years has really confirmed that the pursuit of doing and sort of external attachment to external things, trying to find happiness through that is has not worked for me. Right. So while I'm very grateful that you say that I've done all of these things, but really the journey is to discover my own mind and my own thoughts. Yeah. So when you were younger, it seemed like perhaps a lot of your search, your intellectual search was you went to a lot of really great schools like like Harvard and Princeton, Cambridge, like all all law kind of stuff. Like it was a deep sense of searching for knowledge. Well, it was not just knowledge, but it was also, you know, I think in our world, from a very young age, we are taught to look outside and um, seek fulfillment in the external world. And, uh, you know, 
become rich and become famous and become, you know, write books or I don't know, whatever it is. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with doing those things, pursuing those things. But what I found happens is that when you become attached to those things, when you start to feel that your happiness depends on those things, that is when the problems begin. That is the source, as, as the Buddha described, that is the source of, of all suffering. And so the first thing is to actually see that in your own life, because I didn't see that at all. You know, in the first 40 years of my life, 45 years of my life, I didn't see that. I just was sort of an automaton. Okay, go go to school, you know, do well, you know, um, as you say, I've got these degrees and then go and work in a law firm and then, you know, have a family and rinse and repeat with, you know, over again. But somehow that seemed to me that there's got to be more to it than this i'm somehow i've done all these things but why is it why why am i still not happy what it's there's always something wrong right you know there's always something wrong and even if something good happens the next day even you know something can go wrong right. that would tell my happiness you know what i mean it's like uh, we're on a fight to get somewhere so that we can be happy just to get the thing and then right. realize that that thing isn't making us happy. No. Spirit. Or if moment if that thing makes you momentarily happy, then suddenly the next day something else could happen that would make you unhappy. You know what I mean? That you're just on this sort of a roller coaster, uh, depending on what happens externally, and that's where the that's where the mistake is because it's the, not the external world. You know, it's really not the external world. There's nothing wrong with the external world. It's your perception of the external world. It's your mind that's telling you, I like this, I don't like this. If the world is this way, it's great. This is how I want it. And if the world is this way, I don't want it. Rather than being with a mind that can see things more clearly and saying, whatever is happening, let me understand its true nature. Let me see what it is that is happening. You know, I publish a book, I get great reviews. Oh, that's wonderful. The next day I get a bad review, I'm criticized. My mind is inflamed, right? This is where the emotions, anger, how can they say that? You know, who's this person to say that? Upset, all of that. What is that? Where does that come from? You know, this is one example, but it's neither the good nor the bad review has any effect, really. It's yeah. nothing. It's review it's coming as well. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, it's about taking things personally. And I own a, a business, so there's times when people like what I do, and there's times that somebody's not going to be happy. And the same with a book and book reviews. We take it really personally. Um, what other people think when in reality it's their view of whatever they're going through and their lens that's then projected onto you and their experience with what you do and it's 
your interpretation of what they're saying. It's your mind that is telling you, I like the good book review and I don't like the bad book review. That is the key, really, because good book reviews and bad book reviews, they'll come and they'll go, right? And it's inevitable. It's inevitable that you're going to have good. And I mean, there's a Buddhist teaching on equanimity, which says that these things actually come in pair. Gain, loss. Whenever you have a gain, you should know that there's loss coming in whatever form. It may not come right away, but it's coming. If you have praise, know that the criticism is coming. The same, if you have criticism, know that the praise is coming. These things come in pairs. And so if you train your mind to be at its core of what it actually is, which is this concept of equanimity, which is that I accept the world as it is. I accept the criticism. That's fine. And then noticing, oh, there's a criticism. How is that affecting me? What is that? That's just some words. That's some words. My mind is perceiving it, and then it's going to my heart. And it's affecting me. That's what's really happening. Yeah. But also, what do you think? Like, words also hold energy. And energy literally does affect us. Well, this is true, but... Only through if if the ego, yeah, we talk about the ego as something that views itself as being superior. But in in spiritual traditions, the ego is anything that is gets attached to its desires and it pushes away things that it doesn't want. And so, if someone says words that you perceive as you don't you don't want these words. What I'm saying is pay attention and see what's really going on here. And if it's your mind that's saying, I don't like these words. I like these words. I don't like these words. You kind of reminded me of um, like a three-year-old trying to serve them food. And yeah. <laughs> they, that, yeah. they're like, I don't want this. Yeah. I don't want this. I don't like it. I don't want it. I'm not eating. Right. That's what it is. <laughs> And if you realize that that's what your mind is doing, and in reality, there's no, there is no reality to that. There is no, the, 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 the criticism is not bad. And the praise is not good. It's just how, it's how your mind is perceiving it. And so this is what meditation does. Because our minds are trained from uh, childhood to grab and attach to, to all these things that we like and to push away the things that we don't like. And this becomes conditioned. And it can be different in, in different people, you know, what, what your preferences are and what you like and what you don't like. I mean, it also becomes a part of how we identify. It's like, oh, this is me. This is what I like. I've always said I like this, this is what I like. And I don't like that. So don't talk to me that way. Or don't give me that kind of gift or I like purple. <laughs> I'm the purple. Exactly. Friend. And that's what Eckhart Tolle's yeah, this is what spiritual practi practitioners like Eckhart Tolle and others call your form identity. It's not really who you are. It's an identity that your ego creates and then defends uh, based on the conditioned mind and what, what, you, what your preferences are and what your dislikes are. 
and to the point where you don't even realize it. So you just go through life and you're just reacting to these things because you don't realize what their true nature is. If you see something you, you don't like, or you see something you like, you, know, you see the thing you don't like, oh, I hate that. I don't like that. But what you don't realize is that what is, is that? I, I don't like litter on the streets. I don't like to see litter on the streets. And it's rather amazing. I look at my own mind and I walk down the street and I see litter and I see what my mind does. And it has this whole thing like story like, like what is this and what kind of a person would do this? And and then I now I catch it. And I was like, what am I doing? What is this litter? It's just light reflecting off of something. My retina is perceiving it. And then my mind is making up a story that goes to my heart and says, this is bad. And then it's cleaned but up. I agree, I agree with you. Litter is bad. <laughs> well, but it is as it is. You know what I mean? Your mind tells you it's bad, but it is in the end as it is. No, I mean, do we prefer that there were no litter? Of course, but the, the litter's already there. It's already there. It's already there. So it's us your... getting angry at the litter that's already there doesn't really matter because it's not changing the litter. No, and if if you can see it that way, then you know you can live with it. And if you you can at most go and clean it up, <laughs> which is. Now what I do, if I see litter that I don't like, and I say, okay, I don't like this. That's first of all, my mind, that's a story. It's not real. All it is, is just light shining off of something coming into my eyes. And my mind is telling me I don't like it. And guess what? I'm going to now put it away or I'm going to walk by it. And then what happens is literally one minute later, I will have forgotten about it. And that's the other thing about the mind that I've discovered through meditation is that all these thoughts that we have, if we pay attention, they're not solid. They just evaporate. They are, they're gone. You have a thought one minute and then it can pull you into a whole loop like the litter. Oh my God, who would do it, et cetera, et cetera. But if you notice, oh, that's what my mind is doing and you take two breaths, and then you might have a completely other thought. It's like, oh, why is this car doing this? Oh, that's a nice car over there. Or I'm hungry. <laughs> or I'm hungry. Or what am I doing later on today? Or all kinds of thoughts. They come and then they'll, they're gone as soon as they've come. And so you recognize them. You start to train your mind to see them for what they are, which is that they're not real. They're not real. And so once you've done that... Once you've had that recognition, that is the path to real freedom. Because I think that we are not free. We think we're free, but we're not. You know, servitude doesn't just mean, you know, being imprisoned or, you know, if you are, we are basically bound, imprisoned by our own thoughts. They have complete control over us and how we behave and how we react. And 
that's because we don't realize that they're not real they're not substantial they're not solid and they pass you know this is another concept that i of buddhism major concept of buddhism is the law of impermanence that nothing is permanent everything is changing including your thoughts and emotions when you're angry you say oh my god it just seems so solid and all that but well, all that is is just the energy of anger it'll pass it's impermanent both the litter and the anger that it might elicit in me are impermanent they will all pass so i know right. some of the suffering um kind of comes from clinging to and trying to grab and take hold of that anger like in that you own that anger and that anger is um yours and you're going to hold on to it as long as you can even if it's not on purpose because it's your story or that's what you need and it's really got you riled up but if you just notice the anger and see anger and let the waves of anger and the energy of anger just continuously move instead of grabbing it it's still there right but it's not yours to own exactly. it doesn't have to be yours to own it is not yours it isn't who you are and the proof is that it passes it always passes yeah and you remain but the not and fun part is when that happens on the other side because it's like we can all get that with the anger and like oh yeah we shouldn't hold on to that and all these things but it's also the same like you said like a good book review or like your best day or you know the good oh, stuff yeah. is the stuff you really like it's really fun yeah, to be that's, there that's the thing exactly right that happens on the other side with your, your with your attachments to things that you desire because you want to hold on to them but they're also impermanent you know fame is impermanent as any any actor fame beauty anything any of these things that you want you get attached to they are impermanent youth youth, youth all of these things your sense of self is bound up with these things the the difficulty is in order to get to a place where we can actually see this we need to slow down the mind and that's where meditation comes in because when you are in the grip of the anger it's very difficult to actually distance yourself from it and say oh i am not this anger right i am the one who's actually perceiving the anger because if you think about it how do you know that you're angry some sort of subject object right you are not angry why because you know when you know that you're when you know that you're angry it's because you can perceive the anger that's a nice way of putting it because i hadn't really heard that like perspective of it before or put into those words that i am not the anger i am perceiving angry <laughs> right right and cool. meditation gives you the space to see to see that process and to see who you actually are you are not angry you are the consciousness the awareness that perceives the anger 
just like it's easy if I, you know, if I hold up this this phone, well, I'm perceiving the phone because there's space, there's, you know, subject, object. But it's really the same with your thoughts and your emotions. But you don't see it because they come so quickly. You don't, you're not aware that when the thoughts come, they are not you. You are perceiving the thoughts. You are aware, oh, I had this thought. Who is I? I is the consciousness. Yeah. Right? One of, one of my the teachers that's really awesome says that people that say, oh, I can't uh, meditate. I, my thoughts are going crazy. I'm just, my thoughts keep going. And he was like, that's mindfulness. You're now starting to realize that you have a mind that's having a ton and ton and ton of thoughts. That's starting right. being mindful. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the proof. That's the first step. Even if you notice, oh, my thoughts are going really fast. That's the first step to realizing that, oh, well, how do you know your thoughts are going so fast? Who knows that? Who knows that the thoughts are going so fast? I invite you to ask yourself that question. Yeah. But to sit with that question in meditation, who is perceiving? You realize eventually what all the spiritual teachings point to, which is that it's that part of you that, um, that the Buddha referred to as emptiness. Um, all, and all, by the way, all the religions also that have at their kernel, at, at, their, at their root, a kernel of truth, and this is it, who you are. Even Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. This is what he was talking about. Yeah. That you are not your thoughts and you are not your emotions. You are the one who is perceiving that. And what's more is that eventually realize that you have that in common with everyone with the whole universe, that part of you that sees the thoughts and all the emotions, it's connected to the whole world. Unlike that sort of superficial ego-made image, your personality that is continuously liking things and disliking things and being identified with things and judging people and saying, this, is, this person's good, that person's bad, which is not stable and it's not real. You know, one moment you think someone's bad, the next minute you might think that they're the best person in the world. Oh, how did that happen? Oh, and then you say, oh, I must have misjudged them. I misjudged this person. Or I don't know, I used to hate mushrooms. Now I really like them. But you don't, mindfulness is paying attention to that process. And realizing that these things are not who you are. Who you really are is that awareness, that deep awareness. And it's, I think it's very difficult to, to come to that realization without sitting, at least for me, quietly with your own mind on a regular basis and seeing actually what's going on 
testing it for yourself at every stage. And yeah. life provides the opportunity for you to do that every day because every day you're confronted with things that you like and things that you don't like. You're confronted with people who you think like and you don't like. You're confronted with behaviors that you like and approve of and you don't like. Pleasant, unpleasant. Pleasant, unpleasant. Exactly. Gain, loss. Right? Yeah. Praise, blame, all of these things. And so stopping and paying attention and seeing it for what it is and seeing how quickly it passes and seeing how quickly then your thoughts and emotions pass, eventually you start to gain in be of really true freedom and true happiness that's where it lies yeah i um you know agree with everything you're saying and also i think that there's a little bit of a hard part for most people or a lot of people even myself to completely grasp like i i what i think people can understand is that it's easier to understand that I am not my brain or that I am feeling emotions of anger, but I don't have to be anger is not me. Um, I try to remind people that if you, if your brain was right and you were your brain, then why do you change your mind all the time? Because right. that can't be, all those things aren't you and you change your mind and you think differently now than you did 10 years ago, hopefully. <laughs> and, and I think there's, there's that, but then once you understand that you're not that, I think the hard part, becomes figuring out well then what am i and this is where you can't do it through the traditional methods of teaching of classrooms and this is where you need to sit in meditation and this is where you need to look at your thoughts and so what meditation does is that it trains the mind it slows down the mind in the in the uh tibetan buddhist tradition the mind is compared to a wild horse and so in the sort of classic breath meditation you keep coming bringing the horse back to the path training the horse to come back to the path because otherwise it's too powerful and the mind is too powerful and it will overwhelm you the untrained mind is not going to be able to um, connect with that part of you that I'm describing as awareness or consciousness. And you can't get to there through reading. It's, it's very experiential. It's, so that's why these practices are extremely helpful, right? Because it's not ideological it's not something that you learn by reading or talking i i know we're talking about it now but in the end everyone will have to discover this if they want to discover this they will have to discover it on their own you got to get down and dirty in the dirt you have to sit with your own mind and look at your own mind and see what's going on and so it's very difficult to do that as you go through the day if you haven't already trained your mind because it's too fast and you, your ego is very powerful and it's going to react. And these emotions will arise and 
your conditioned mind will take over. You know, some kid, you get upset or you react the way that you normally would react, you know, whether it's through anger or whether it's through being upset or being shutting down, whatever that is. Patient, you start to see that these things are really not real and then they lose their power over you. It's definitely not immediate. And believe me, I'm a long way from there. It's not like, oh, you know, no. You know, but that's once this is the key, this is the the the, the portal. Once these thoughts and these emotions, you see what they are, they will lose their power over you. That's really the end of anger. That's really the end of suffering. Huge amounts of suffering fall away. And you might find, I am now finding actually, like in the past, I would be someone that always had to be doing something. You know, my mind was very active. I always had to be, you know, if I wasn't doing something, I felt like something was wrong. You know, you, you know I'm also, and now I think, okay, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with this moment? My mind is telling me there's something wrong with this moment. I'm agitated because I'm not doing anything. Oh, I should be doing this. I should be working or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Just watching that process and seeing how unreal it is. There's nothing wrong with not doing anything in this moment. Just sitting quietly and looking at your mind. <laughs> you know, the French philosopher Pascal, he said something that I quite like. He said that if 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 young men were able to sit quietly in their rooms, all the problems of the world would be resolved and we wouldn't have any strife and war. And I think he was pointing, I mean, even though he was not a spiritual person, he's a philosopher, but I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, especially I've noticed it myself that my mind was very, very, active and i'm assuming that that's the case with almost all of us that we have a restless mind that always has to be doing something and is always trying to pursue its desires and is push away what it doesn't want and in the process brings on tremendous suffering for itself and others and just witness what's going on in the world and what's gone on in the world since the dawn of civilization and some people are talking about this as being the next stage in human evolution, right? That we finally actually discover who we are. And that, that's what, what some people call that our essence identity, as opposed to our form identity, which is the sort of made up personality. I am, I am this person. I like this, I don't like this, I need right. to do this, I'm a good father, I'm a good lawyer. These things aren't real. What is real is the part of you that perceives all of this. And once you start to connect with that part, and I'm not saying it's easy because we have been trained all of our lives not to, Everything that we do, all of society, everything, you know, um, 
<clears throat> television and radio and internet and schooling and all of these things, there's no teaching along these lines. So our minds are already trained in the opposite direction to go with our conditioned mind and to, you know, to push away what we don't like, to attack what we don't like, sometimes even to kill. Do you know? I mean, many people yeah. have done that, right? Yeah. I mean, how much it's insane, right? But that insanity, what we call insanity, is not limited to 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 what our society calls insane people. All of our minds are in the grip of this type of insanity. Which yeah, it gets is a little wild in here. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 way out of it is to by noticing it and as we come back to what you said earlier mindfulness is oh the first step oh wow i can't even sit still for a second this my mind is going too fast right oh congratulations you just noticed yeah you just noticed something you also you noticed maybe you are not those thoughts because otherwise how would you know that you're having those thoughts and then the other thing that you might notice, which the vast majority of humans don't, is that this process is the cause of tremendous suffering, which is what Buddha's noble truth, number one, there is suffering in the world. And it's noble truth too, which is caused by the mind. This, the mind that does this, that grasps through these thoughts grasps constantly at what it wants and pushes away what it doesn't want is the source of our suffering and the question yes of course so well i have lots of questions um but one of them is i guess i'll put it in two parts because you mentioned being a good father if i said are you a good father <laughs> um how would you answer it? And would it be different if you're coming from a spiritual perspective conversation versus just a regular conversation in real life? Yeah, yes, thank you. That's a great question. I think so. I mean, I participate in life like everyone else. And so, you know, conventionally, um, we can use language in, in that way without without being in the grips of it. So, yes, I would like to be, I would say to you, yes, I try to be a good father. I, I don't, you'd have to ask my children whether or not I'm a good father. And it but, depends on the day on whether you gave them what they wanted or you didn't. Right. But <laughs> if you asked me, who are you? Right. Well, in the past, I might have said to you, well, I'm, I'm Alex. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Um, I used to live in New York. Now I live in London. I've got two children. I went to these universities, blah, blah, blah. But now, in if you ask me, well, you know, tell me about yourself, I might say those things, but I don't not, I don't believe that any of those things are true. They're not they're not real. I mean, they may be true in a sense that, yes, okay, these things, but it's not who I am. Those things are not who I am, right? And a good father is not who I am, or a bad father is. A father is, I am not a father. 
yes, I have children, but my identity is not a father. And you can see that if how much suffering that can bring if you get bound up with these concepts. If my identity is all bound up in me being a father and my concept of what fatherhood is like, and it has to be this way and it has to be that way, you can see how much I will suffer because, because the world is not going to conform to that. Yeah. It's also uh, like a empty nest syndrome. You identify as a parent for so long, working so hard for like 18 years for your kids to go to college or wherever they go. And all of a sudden it's like, well, crap, who am I now? Right. Or, or, or they don't go to college. And then you get all upset. What did I do wrong? No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are a million things your mind can do. Right. I did all this and now look. No. Because you don't see things as they are. You know, you don't. And all the spiritual teachers have tried to point this out. I mean, Khalil Gibran is also a spiritual teacher who I, I've read. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, he said, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. And I think that's beautifully put. That means... Don't get attached to your ident to an identity of parenthood. It's fine being a parent, but as soon as you there's attachment, as soon as there's grasping, that's where the suffering comes in. That's where the imprisonment comes in. And whatever that is, I mean, it could be the parenthood. It could be, okay, I'm a lawyer, right? Oh, well, then a lawyer has to be like this. You know what I mean? My conception of a lawyer has to be like this. And then if it's not, depression. Right. And it's inevitably not. Like, well, I did this to make a lot of money and now I'm not making as much money as I thought I did or I am making this money and it's not really doing anything for my spirit. Right. And what are those things? Those are just thoughts. They're not who you are. And yet you see it a lot. Yeah. You see a lot especially in my age i mean you know i'm in my 50s now and you, you know you see people starting to regret the past and tell themselves all these stories like you know well at this stage in life i should be somewhere else or i'm unfulfilled or something but what they don't realize is that who said that <laughs> why should you be somewhere else what's wrong with where you are now it's only your mind, it's your thoughts at the moment that are telling you that. They're telling you that. You who notices the thoughts. <laughs> yeah. But if you understood reality as it is, you would always eventually train your mind to accept the reality of the present moment by able to grasp at it and then you're free no matter what happens, you're fine and the truth is that part of yourself that observes that consciousness that sees the thoughts that part of yourself is always fine that part of yourself is always fine that part of yourself doesn't age that's always fine that that part of yourself doesn't 
get old. It doesn't get sick. It's, you, you know, your body may get sick, but that part of you, how do you know? I'm sick. Your body may get sick, but that part of yourself is really immortal. It's energy. <laughs> and so once you realize it, suddenly doesn't life become so much easier? It's like, okay, this happened. Okay. I'm noticing it. All right. Okay. Yeah. What's so bad about it? Only my mind is telling me it's bad. Yeah. Or this, I've... I've written the novel and, you know, it's so great. And now I have to write another one. And you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch our conversation for a little bit because I'm curious, um, going from a law background and all the schooling and moving into law and opening your own law firm, like what brought you, you mentioned like kind of realizing that those things weren't making you like fulfilled or like totally happy um but what was was there a moment or what was the shift i think that i went through um i went through a period of intense unhappiness and intense difficulty which was sort of building on to prior dissatisfactions um I can't point to one event, but I can say that it was, it was my mind telling me that there's something wrong, seriously wrong with life. My mind was telling me there's something really, really wrong with your life. Yes, I had all these degrees. I had a very successful law practice. I had enough money. I mean, that's the other thing is that you, you realize eventually that, you know, money, you all, all you need is just enough to have a roof on your head and, and to, to live. But I didn't realize that, you see. I mean, I didn't, I, I was constantly worried about being more successful and doing more and doing more and doing more at home. And so I came a point where I have my mind just sort of, couldn't deal with it anymore and I went to therapy and it I found that therapy yeah I mean it was partially helpful but not altogether satisfying I think therapy is helpful in a sense that it you you can potentially come to this through therapy if you do it long if you have the right therapist and if they can guide you to 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 sort of stop looking out and start looking at your own mind that's not what happened with me so instead, I, I sort of stumbled on, on this um, meditation center when I lived in New York in, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And I went there and it was very different. I mean, I remember that first session just sitting there and we just meditated and we sat there and the teacher just, I think he just said, we're just going to meditate. But he said something along the lines of, what's wrong with the present moment what's wrong right now i'm not talking about in your mind like oh you know what what's 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 going to happen in you know two years or 
what's happening at work or what's happening. What's wrong in this moment? Are you cold? No. <laughs> Are you uncomfortable? No. So, is there anything wrong? No. Look around. Oh, okay. There's a chair, there's a cushion. There are windows. Oh. How does your weight feel on the cushion? Oh, I never thought about that. I'd never paid attention. Oh, it feels fine. How about the weight of your feet on the ground? Oh, hadn't thought about that either. Oh, it's another way of looking at the world that brings you closer to who you really are. And as all the spiritual teachers have taught us, who you really are is full of joy. That's all it is. At your core, the only thing that is, exists is joy. Pure joy. Do you um, count that as like in the same realm as love or peace or? It is, that is inner peace and it is the only source of love. It is the beginning of love. It is the beginning of compassion is to recognize who you really are. And then to see that in everyone else. The reason that I say that it's the beginning of love and compassion is that you realize that that part of you, you share with everyone. Everyone has that. Everyone has that part. And in that sense, we're all the same. And you recognize that. And then like, oh, wow, we're the same. And, you know, I mean, the, the Buddhists have a nice way of saying this. I, I don't necessarily um subscribe to this idea of um many different lives pre-lives but i do believe there's something about the passing of energy from different you know once you die you know you know you you turn energy turns into a different form and so you know the the buddhists say that <laughs> when you look out everyone is your mother and everyone is your father because in the past you say, shared the same energy. <laughs> so you have you you will once your mind can sort of grasp that, you will come to as I said, it's the beginning of love. That's why the Buddha himself had compassion for everyone. Everyone. They say there's a story that when the Buddha was poisoned, food poisoned by a um, by somebody who'd given him some very bad food and he was really very badly off and they came to him and he, his concern was that person who had given him the food. Say, How is he doing? I'm worried about him. Did he eat any of it? Yeah. <laughs> you see? Yeah. So, but if your love is like a um, possessive type of love, <laughs> then you can see how it can't last. 
because if it's dependent on this egoic idea, oh, I love this person, you know, they're so beautiful and they do this and they do that. Okay, well, what happens when, you know, they're less beautiful in your eyes? Or what happens if they stop doing this or that? Then you don't love them anymore, right? Yeah. Shows that it really wasn't love at all in the first place. Sometimes that can actually turn into hate. That can turn into hate. Yeah. So many people who start off thinking that they love each other and then, you know, well, you domestic violence and divorce and all of these things. So, yeah. Um, part of that conversation, I, uh, about Buddha worrying about the person that fed him. Um, one time I was just minding my own business, driving down the street, probably going to Trader Joe's, <laughs> going to that direction. And there was this like a tree canopy that kind of went from one side of the road to the other side of the road. And I was driving and I saw these two squirrels running across up top. I was like, oh, they're so cute. One of the squirrels dropped down at the same exact second my car was moving and I hit the squirrel like there was, you know, no options. It's not like I ran over him with my tire. He literally hit the front of my car at the same second. And then, of course, I thought about, well, I pulled over and chanted and did some things to help his spiritual side. If not, I know Buddhism doesn't go that way as much, but I was worried about the squirrel in the tree who was just enjoying his life and just his friend disappeared. And then right. also kind of this conversation making me realize like how torn up I was about running into the squirrel and also worrying about the squirrel in the tree and killing the other squirrel. But that other squirrel didn't care. He was dead. <laughs> I don't but know if that so makes any sense or connection to anything, but I was like, oh, wow. It's <laughs> so beautiful because it, it shows computer and how much the suffering of other beings affect you, which shows to me that you are well along the path. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise- like It's not most... like I killed the squirrel on purpose. That would have been a different scenario, but it was clearly that squirrel's time of which to go. And I but, was supposed to experience that for some reason. But the fact that you stopped, that you cared, that you look, you thought about the other squirrel, I mean, most people would have just driven by. Oh, we just, I just, it, it just, it's an animal that died, you know, on to the next thing, you know, someone with compassion, someone who is awakening. And then it does become automatic. At first, it, I mean, with me, it wasn't, it was more forced, you know, and it still is. I mean, I have to um, tell myself, stop and see things as they are and say okay you know this is a this is a being it has as much feelings as i have and connect with it and um become more like you you know just very very compassionate towards all other sentient beings and once you have that you are that's it i mean you've got the secret of life this is the point i mean this is what i 
what I'd like to maybe finish with is that all of the things that they tell you will make you happy. They are not the source, ultimate source of happiness. Get a degree, get a good job, become successful, make lots of money, find someone attractive to be with, you know. And they're um, not going to be as attractive as they age, depending on what your view of attractive is. And I'm not, as I said, I'm not saying don't do these things. Do them, absolutely. But if you do them mindfully, if you do them with awareness and realize that none of these things are the ultimate source of happiness. What is the ultimate source of happiness is to realize who you really are, which is pure awareness. And then to realize that's what you share with the rest of the universe, with all other sentient beings. And then that compassion and that love become second nature. And then you will love yourself too. And then you will love, you will love yourself, not in the selfish love, like, like Narcissus, you know, that's not love. Narcissus was the myth of Narcissus. He actually dies because he, he's trying to possess himself. He's trying, he, he, that's, that's the sort of, that's where narcissism comes from. No, you love yourself because you realize who you really are. Your essence. And you realize that you share that with everybody. I talking to you right now, you know, if connect with your essence, we're the same. We are the same. You and I are the same as all of your listeners, as everyone. We all want the same. So, yeah. Thank you for that amazing conversation. <laughs> I love it when we go deeper right away because small talk is just small. <laughs> I just made that up. It's pretty good. Um, I do have like just a couple quick questions that hopefully we can just like wrap things up, but that I'm curious about what you do. Um, they might be intertwined, but I'll just tell you what they are and then we'll go from there. But the first one is with uh, Tranquil Lawyer is what we just talked about is really, really big. Um, and how I'm sure if you went into like a session or a company and we're teaching this, that isn't where you would start. Um, if people can't grasp all of that, they need to start smaller. Um, right. So maybe perhaps the way that you describe maybe how you would start that. I'd also like to just tie in how what would you suggest perhaps that listeners that are newer to meditation and curious about this work or coming back to a meditation practice? Um, do you have any like tips or tools or advice that you'd like to share? Yes, thank you. Thank you for that question. If, if someone is completely new, then, you, you know, we do some, I think I could start with exercises like closing your eyes and opening it or even just a short meditation because if someone is new to this they haven't even had the experience of paying attention to their body to their weight 
on as I hadn't. That was my first experience. You know, when they asked me, like, oh, how does your body, how does your, like, oh, I've never paid attention to that. When was the last time you thought about your weight on the chair or the cushion? So that sounds it, like that for you too was a, a huge transformation of awareness of, yes. wow, that's, I never thought about that before. No. That opens your eyes to so many other things that you hadn't thought about before. Because the way that in our society we go about learning is knowledge-based. We acquire knowledge, but this is different. This is experiential. And so if someone hasn't had any experience with this, I invite them to start experiencing themselves because it's something that they've never done. They've never paid attention to the different parts of their body. They've never, and therefore they've never paid attention to their thoughts or to their emotions. So I start with some of these exercises or the breath, you know, that, and just see how they react to that. And usually it's an aha moment for everybody because they don't, you know, they're so involved in the dramas in the mind, which aren't real, that they don't pay attention to actual reality. And that's what I try to do is to point out to them that they're actually not experiencing reality as it is. They're experiencing a reality that's filtered through the lens of their egos. It's a way of experiencing yourself. It's a way of turning in, seeing, starting to see who you are, which is that awareness starting to connect with that awareness unless you do that no amount of reading and no amount of me talking or anyone else talking is going to get you there yeah. you have to do the work yourself it's to begin with it may seem daunting but it's really not it's just simply sitting in a quiet place I'll give some instructions if you like, and when we could do a, a meditation, I'll give some instructions, but this is what I'm recommending that, that um, people do. Yeah. Well, and I hope everyone sticks around for the meditation and the next episode uh, to kind of uh, experience this for yourself. If you would like some guidance in it. I can't guarantee anything in life. But I'm going to stick my neck out on this one and say that if you do it and stick with it, I don't mean just do one meditation a month, no. But if you do it every day, your life, it will be life altering as it has been for me. And me as well. Okay, thank you for that. But it's not quick. It's not fast because your mind it takes a long time. Your mind up to this point, wherever you are in life, has been trained in one way. And now you're starting to look at it in a different way. 
Thank you, Alex. I'm very fortunate to have gotten to experience this conversation and kind of go, go with it with you. So thank you so much. I, I for feel being the here. same. Thank you very much. It's thank been you. really wonderful. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, we'll start the next episode of leading a meditation that Alex is going to lead you guys in. So I hope you stick around and Alex, is there any um, social media or websites? We'll have a, everything in the show notes, but if you'd like to say it out loud, any ways that people can find you. Oh, um, so I have a website, uh, tranquil lawyer with one L.com. I'd like to bring these practices to people. I don't do this for money or to make money or in any way um in a commercial way but i think that my website provides some good information where you can begin thank you so much we're gonna wrap this up i really appreciate it i hope people um, enjoy the meditation and are able to find you and uh thank you for what you offer thank you <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We hope you stick around for the meditation on the next episode. If you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative lens or starting your own meditation practice with accountability, check out TheMeditationWard.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at TheMeditationWard and please like, review us, and share with your friends. See you soon.